<clears throat> tonight what I want to talk about is a, a particular quality of mind, one of the wholesome qualities, that in uh, the last few years I've been uh, exploring more in my own life, in my own practice, that has just been really useful to me the last few years. Would that I'd explored it more in the earlier years. But uh, so I just wanted to try and share a little bit about that in hopes that maybe it will be helpful to you. Nothing you haven't heard about before, uh, the quality of, of determination or resolve, one of the 10 paramis, one of the 10 perfections of mind, wholesome qualities that it's said to, that, uh, to become a Buddha, one perfects these qualities in one's heart and mind. And often the 10 paramis are spoken of as ways to practice things to pay attention to in cultivating the path in our daily life, um, but in our life here as well, not any different. So I just want to talk about this parami of determination, of resolution. And um, the 10 wholesome qualities, which I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but you've probably heard of, and you'll recognize, you'll recognize them all. I'll just read them, them out to you in the order they're usually given in, which is uh, generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, equanimity. Those all sound familiar, right? And you can see how all of those are wholesome qualities. All of them are naturally being cultivated through our mindfulness practice here and also just through um, taking the, the Eightfold Path, trying to practice a life of awareness, of wake, waking up. Determination is just defined just very simply as um, resolution or steadiness of purpose. And this is some different um, definitions I got from different places. It can be regarded as, and this is interesting, several different people have said this. Tanisaru Bhikkhu, Situgu Sayadaw, who is a, he's a real big shot Sayadaw in Burma, Situgu Sayadaw. <laughs> and some others have said that even though determination Aditana in the Pali, is listed eighth in that list. It can be regarded as the foundation for all of the perfections, the foundation for cultivating all of the 10 perfections, because without a firm determination, one cannot fulfill the other paramis. Without a, a sense of uh, determination, of resoluteness, well, we don't really do anything. So it's really, in some ways, the basis for all of them. And personally, for me, I've never heard it talked about really very much in a way that had been helpful to me. Another definition, unwavering. This is the energy of resolution, of uh, determination, because that's how I want to talk about it. I'll talk about it in the big picture, but also in the, as with everything, how it works for me is seeing it's a mental factor that arises in our experience now. And what we can really do is learn how to recognize it, learn how it supports our wholesome practice and how we can, um, in noticing the wholesome, feed the wholesome, learn to um, trust in and call on determination more. So. One description of how it feels is unwavering in the face of disappointment and discouragement. Hmm? See how that could be helpful if <laughs> we want to keep practicing. So it's described in, vast, in the vast proportions over time, over eons, sort of like with intention. Remember when in the uh, beginning of the treat, when James talked about cultivating our aspiration our wise intention. And it can have uh, the sense of the vastness, aspiration of, you know, the vast aspiration to wake up, for example. And then it has the moment-to-moment -moment quality of intention in the moment. So in this way, determination or resolve is often spoken of in the same way. 
So recognizing how it functions here and now, how we can use it for strength, for energy, for courage, again, to be with disappointment, to keep going. So mostly, most of us, me anyway, seem to know how to do things, how to bring up energy, how to keep on practicing by striving, right? We make up something we want to happen, and then we we push, push, push to make it happen, right? And this whole retreat, we've been trying to say, relax, observe, allow. And we all say, yeah, good idea, good idea. But then what do we do? Just fluff around? You know, if we're not striving, if we're not pushing, how does anything get done? So if also in terms of if you want to use um, skillful means, like when James was talking about the other night, the um, different ways to work with thought, work with difficult thought, right? And five different ways of doing it. And of course, the question comes up, especially the last one, you know, pressing down. But anyway, when do you say, okay, here's this difficult thought, and I'll just say, no, no, not now, just ignore it, right? Just a simple example of skillful means. When is that skillful means? How often do we not know how to bring up the energy for that skillful means if it's not with striving to make something happen? It's with aversion. It's with, no, not now. Not going to be with that thought. Bad thought. Let's do some metta, you know? And even though it looks like we're doing skillful means, the tool, the mental quality that we're calling on is unwholesome, is kalesa. And that's what we're practicing. Yes, I won't have this bad thought. I will be metta, 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 yes. Well, I wonder why it's not working. Yeah. And it feels strong. Just like in our life, anger can be such a strong energy. That's where our refuge can be, okay? So in, in, in practice, in learning to trust mindfulness and not to strive, and just, but still with great steadfastness, be present for whatever's arising. And sometimes I would be kind of left, well, how do I do that? Without willpower, without gritting my teeth, without really forcing, without striving, without aversion. You know, and as I said, it's kind of like we just relax, observe, fluff around, and hope you know, everything will turn out for the best. You know, is that how we're practicing? You know, it doesn't really work, does it? Because when it's like that, well, la, la, I guess I'll just go take a nap, a good long nap, you know, and maybe I'll feel better when I get up. Get up, not better. Well, okay, you know, down, you know where it goes from there. So starting to understand resolution as a quality, a wholesome quality, a natural quality that arises in our mind often, but we often don't, I'm naming it so we can recognize it turn to it, use it. It's a quality that really brings strength, it, like it aligns the energy. It cuts through all the dithering. Should I do this? Should I do that? I'll give you a very simple example, how I've been, this is a very simple way I've been noticing it. Well, I started noticing, well, I've noticed one, but anyway, I was sitting on, on retreat in Burma last year. And when you're in the monasteries there, it's a long day. You get up at three in the morning and you know, go to bed whenever. But by three in the morning, okay, you haven't eaten since 11 the morning, be- the morning before, because that's your last meal is at 10.30 in the morning. So you know, you're tired or you're hungry and you're in a room. No one knows if you get up at three. You know, they don't come around and check. So it's really, you're lying in bed. One is lying in bed when the alarm goes, should, should I get up? Who will know, I'm really tired. You, you know, maybe you can relate. So, well. It's only four o'clock. The bell didn't go yet. I just need a little extra sleep. Should I? No, maybe it'd be good to get up. No, 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 right? You can think this, you can think that, you can try to decide is it good, is it bad, will I be tired, what should I do? None of that's resolution. And none of that is really helping you see anything clearly. It's just dithering, you know? What do you make a decision out of from that space? And you can kind of feel. That kind of just wafting around energy, not very steady, la, la, la. And resolution in the mind, and I mean, I've really been playing, you can actually recognize it. 
It's just a quality, very calm and peaceful. It's not a harsh quality. And the energy just aligns. You look at, res like almost say you look at a resolution. Just get up. You just get up. You just do it. And all that dithering just stops. That's just a complete scattering of the energy. Resolution comes, and instead of going, oh, should I? No, the resistance. Align with resolution. Okay, you just get up. You don't think about, is it good, is it bad, is it this, is it that? You get up, and you pay attention. And wisdom comes, if it was too early, you know the next time. Very simple. It is very simple when we learn to recognize and trust this quality of mind, this really aligning of the energy. Little picture. Big picture, in terms of the, the big picture example, we're talking eons and eons and eons and ages really big picture of how um, determination is presented in the, in the, in the Buddhist um, background. The ascetic Sumedha. And this is the story of how our Buddha, ours, right? <laughs> From the one that we know historically as Siddhartha Gotama, how he came to be in the stories of the Jataka tales. Do you remember Spring told the Jataka tales? This whole series of stories about the so-called previous lives as an animal and as people of the historical Buddha we know. And that whole history begins with eons and eons, four incalculables and 100,000 eons before our present age. Big picture. There was a, another Buddha named Dipankara Buddha. And at this time, there was also an ascetic, you know, a, a practicing ascetic, not a monk named Sumedha. And he was practicing very sincerely. And when he heard that there was a Buddha, a self-awakened one nearby, he, he traveled and found the Tipankara Buddha. You know, he wanted to learn from him. And he was so touched just on seeing the Tipankara Buddha and on hearing him and seeing... Um, you know, his tranquility, his wisdom, and also how much he was touching people, how much good he was doing for people. This Sumedha realized he was, on, he was himself, Sumedha the ascetic, committed to waking up, to becoming an arhat, right? But he got this deep um, inspiration on seeing Dipankara Buddha that as, as useful or as wonderful as it would be to be really free for himself, to become a Buddha, a self-enlightened one who could be of so much service to so many beings, who could be such a great service in the world, would be incalculably a better thing to offer. So he, on seeing this, made a vow, a resolution, it's called, to become, to do whatever it takes to develop his heart and mind to become a Buddha in a future life. So this is really a huge, huge uh, resolution, a really, really deep commitment. This is one where it's in that moment, it's a deep resolve. And then not just through, you know, a few sittings and a, and a, a few years, but through eons and eons and lifetimes and lifetimes, keeping coming back to this resolve. And what he saw the resolve meant was he, he went to a cave to reflect, what do I need to do to make this vast journey? to become a Buddha, because it requires such a, even a deeper purification and cultivation of wisdom than, than a mere arhat. And so um, on reflection, he saw that it was to, to develop these 10 qualities that are called the 10 perfections. They're perfections in the heart, in the mind, when they're brought to perfection, and all 10 are brought to perfection. That is the, the qualities that can give rise to a Buddha. Okay. So that's the story. You get a sense of the depth of resolve and how that, in the big picture, can feed the willingness to connect with resolve, to connect with commitment in the smaller picture. So. Through all his lifetimes, it's said, and those are all the Jataka stories, take it or leave it, but they're interesting in, in ways of cultivating the different perfections. 
And still, even in the lifetime that we have the story of, there's the larger kind of overarching resolve to become a Buddha that was um, supporting the foundation for the choices that this, the man Siddhartha Gautama made in his life. And then there's um, a way that one can make a smaller resolve, a smaller resolution. For example, I have to come on a retreat and really be as committed as possible. You know, it's a more time-bound time kind of resolve. Or an even smaller resolve. You could sit down in a sitting and say, I really resolve to be as present as possible in this sitting. Not that you can control how present you are, but you can make that resolve. Um, this sitting, I'm really going to be here as much as I can. For example, <laughs> when you're sitting with Sayada Upandita, the way that um, one has to um, report in interviews is very specific. And it's a practice where you're noting every moment what's arising. You start with feeling the breath at the abdomen, and then you notice what happens. And when you go to an interview, you're meant to describe just quite not your interpretation, not what you think about it, not how you like it, not how good you think your concentration is, not your dreams, you know, none of that. Not your thoughts, just what arose in the sitting and how it was noticed. What was the process? Very, very specific. Same in the walking. So after a while, we would have little notebooks, you know, because who can remember? And just to remember five or 10 minutes of a sitting, try it. I rose in breath and then became aware of thinking. And as I noted thinking, it continued. And as I noted thinking, it faded away. And then uh, sensation arose. And as I became aware of the sensation, aversion arose. And as I became aware of aversion, I got lost in thought. I was lost in thought for a while, and then when uh, mindfulness came back, I noted thinking, and it went away, and then I became aware of the rising. In the rising, I felt pressure, tingling, burning. That's how you practice in that form. Sitting, walking, and in between. It's far out when you do it. It's far out. But to go to report, you don't go into Sayadaw Pandita and go, um, well, I, I, I took a breath, and then I don't really remember. Uh, yeah, what happened? You don't want to go into him with that. So you have a report. So we noticed, I noticed, and I know I'm not the only one, that the sittings I would sit down and say, okay, this sitting I'm going to report on, there was a little more clarity of attention sometimes. You could see, not, not tight, but just, I, I got to be here. To report, oh, that little more resolve a little more determination, a little more commitment. It's kind of a steadiness. My energy is more aligned. And then sometimes I'd notice halfway through, oh, this sitting stinks. Forget it. I'm not reporting on this one. And like the, <laughs> the quality of attention would really just like you know, change. It's like, OK, you really see what's possible with the determination. The determination goes, ah, who cares? It's gone. OK, that's, that's very interesting to see. What's possible with determination is much more than we might expect. It also, when there's the determination, just that resolve. And here I'd say, if I had to say like an overarching resolve, it's simply to cultivate awareness, to cultivate this quality of mindfulness just for this moment, right? To show up, to be here with mindfulness, with awareness, for whatever's arising now. That moment, that resolve, over and over and over again. And it's like so much more than you would have thought you might be capable of doing, isn't it, before you started practice? Or if this is your first long retreat, did you think you'd make it this far? And did you think you could sit through and be with some of the stuff that's come up? And is some of the stuff that's come up what you thought you were here to come up for? No, you know? But it's like so much more is possible when the energy's aligned through resolve, through determination. Again, just a moment, uh, a little, another little example from my practice, but just a momentary one. Another retreat I was doing some years ago. It was in Burma again, yeah. And for some reason, it was just one of those retreats where really extremely difficult, painful kind of emotional patterns or states were coming up at the time. And I remember... There was one particular state that would come. I was walking back and forth on my little, uh, little porch. 
And the conditions are always a bit more difficult there, which wasn't really the problem. But it just is like you're not just like all comfy and cozy. Oh, I don't like it. Let me just go have a candy and make some tea and get under my blankie. I don't think so. You know? And uh, so there's really nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I'm walking back. And this, this state would come, which I recognize now as overwhelm, you know, and it would come and just this would come so strong. Oh, this is unbearable. So much suffering. I just can't be with this another moment. It's unbearable. But like a hundred times more than I just said it. And it would keep coming over and over. But there was nowhere to go and nothing to do. And I would get the image, I'll just go lie down on the bed. Like, what would that do? Maybe I tried it once. It didn't make any difference. So this state would come. And the resolve, the determination, isn't to get rid of the state or it's just, okay, you can just be here. I remember Ajahn Sumedho saying, you know, be, I would think this is unbearable. I cannot bear this another moment. And then I'd see that I could. That's the resolve. I'd say, oh, this is unbearable. This is, oh, oh my mental state. That resolve to just be present for it. And then the wisdom would come. And oh, it's a mental state. And through the wisdom, the resolve, wisdom strengthens resolve. They go together. Then it all can be with this mental state. It wasn't like la, 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 it feels so nice, a horrible mental state, but, but mental state. And that's just what it is. The, the, all the uh, energy aligns in that moment of determination, in that moment of resolve, just to be here for it. It's not a harshness. It's not an aversion, and it's not expectation or leaning into it. It's just aligning to be here. And that can change everything. So resolve comes together with wisdom. It strengthens faith, and faith strengthens resolve. And it brings energy. They kind of circle around each other. Faith, energy, resolve, and wisdom. As a mental factor, the mental factor, now I'm not talking as a parami, but as one of the, in the Abhidhamma, one of the 52 mental factors, Resolve is uh, said to be ethically variable, right? So it's this quality of determination. But whether it's wholesome or unwholesome depends on what other qualities are in the mind. I mean, that's clear. You can have a huge determination to do something uh, really harmful or unethical, right, and really follow it through. But in terms of um, aparami, in terms of wholesomeness, it, has, it comes together with these four qualities. And this is in one of the suttas. And then Tanisaru Bhikkhu kind of puts it in a little easier language. But the, the four resolve comes together with four qualities, the four um, qualities of wise determination, the Buddha says. So it comes together with wisdom, wise discernment, seeing clearly. It's supported by truth by a commitment to truth, to honesty with oneself. It comes together with relinquishment. And it's also supported by, comes together with, and leads to calm, to peace. And I just, that might sound highfalutin, but I'll just give you like a really a simple example. Not that you have to remember all these four, but in terms of when you wonder for yourself, for example, if you're, you say, I'm going to do this, you know, to make my practice better. And you can't really tell, is this like a clear resolve or is it just some, you know, tr- wanting, trying to make things better? You can check in with the qualities as you're doing it and see if these qualities are present. So um, uh, just a simple example. Say you decide, you know, I feel like maybe going through the day, I'm really quite comfortable. My mindfulness seems good enough, la, la, la. But it's almost like so comfortable. I wonder if I could just be a little more present. And you think, you see how that could be either from wanting, from some expectation, or it could really be from seeing clearly, yeah, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of cruising a little bit. Let me look and see. And so one very simple resolve, I've often made this myself on a retreat, is, okay, from, say, 
breakfast time, say you don't have a job after breakfast. From breakfast time until lunch, I'm just going to be very steady. I'm just going to sit, walk, sit, not do any extra activities. Make it a special time to just cultivate moment by moment mindfulness. That's a resolve, a kind of you know, small in the moment resolve. How to tell if it's, if it's really wise discernment, it'll come together with these four things. The first, it comes out of wisdom, wise discernment. The sense that that could be a wholesome thing, strengthening mindfulness. And also a sense of, you can't tell completely, but is it realistic? You know, If you said, from the moment I get up, I am not going to have one moment of getting lost in thought until the end of the night. It's not really very realistic. Maybe it is for somebody here. Anyone here that's totally realistic, you could really do that. Not so, not so much. But one could maybe say, yeah, I can really just look from eight. Not that I won't get lost in thought, but I'm making this my mindfulness time. So it has some, some wise discernment in it, both in the purpose and in what's actually possible. In terms of truth, honesty with oneself. Again, this is, of course, an essential quality in all of our practice. In fact, it's said in of all the paramis that the bodhisattva was developing in all those lifetimes, the one that he never really broke was truthfulness. Because truth, just truthfulness with what we're recognizing, not what we don't see we can't help, but when we recognize it, oh, that's just what's here. Not with judging, it's like this. So truthfulness in, in our you know, willingness to abide by our, our resolve. So that when we're in it, we say, ah, oh, yeah, since not work, it's enough. I, I, this is good enough. You know, I'm sort of being mindful, but never mind. I know I said I wouldn't do extra, but I'm going to go have a cracker and a cup of tea, and I'm being mindful enough. You know, and you can, if you're truthful, you can see that waffling, that wavering coming in. In this particular example, when it was a wise thing to do. So truthfulness, just really seeing what we're doing and why. And relinquishment, that's kind of obvious in terms of the, the resolve, the determination to collect one's energy in a certain way it means you're relinquishing or giving up certain other possibilities at that time. Maybe for that 8 to 12 time, you're relinquishing your 10, 15 cup of tea for that day. That might be a big relinquishment or a little one, but there's something we're relinquishing in the Sumedha, to, in all of those lifetimes, to cultivate all the qualities to be a Buddha. He was relinquishing a lot. You've all relinquished, I would imagine, a huge amount to be here for five weeks. It's not a relinquishment of negativity. It's relinquishment in service of a deepening and strengthening of resolve. And the last part, peace or calm, which I think is really important. It's one of the, the great ways for me I can tell because when the resolve can be really strong. So this, this simple thing of just not doing extra activities between 8 and 12 for a day. And you know, I make the resolve to myself, just for today, whatever comes up, for this time, I'm going to be with it. And maybe something really difficult or unpleasant comes up in my mind, thinks, oh, but there's all these other skillful means, and I could do this, and I could do that. The resolve comes, no, I'm just going to be with it for now. And that isn't like, a, you got to do it. It's just, no, I just got to be with it. It's calm. It's calming. You know, it doesn't lead to more fluttering and worry and doubt and this and that, which all the thinking and the analyzing and comparing does. It's, no, just for now, I'm going to be with it. If it's like this, okay. If it feels like my practice just goes to hell in a handbasket while I'm doing this, okay. It's just what I'm doing. And then ultimately, and this is what we see with all skillful means, it's not that from doing that, from then on, total peace. I'm not talking about that. But you can see that if it was a wise resolve and it's supporting our awareness, there'll be uh, some sense of calm or peace with it and after it, not the sense of you're sitting through a sitting and no matter what happens, you're going to sit there and you're gritting your teeth. And have you had sittings like that where it feels like resolve? I'm not going to move no matter what, you know, and you're sweating bullets and your teeth are gritting and you feel like you're going to bust your jaw and at the end of the sitting, you just want to die and you never want to come in the hall again. But by gum, I stayed with it. And we did stay with it. That's not resolve, though. I mean, it feels like it's a resolve. Okay, maybe it's not wise, discerning resolve. It's willpower. 
And sometimes in our life that can be useful, but it's not the wholesomeness of resolve. Several people have described to me over the last days different, different kinds of sittings like that where things are really difficult in the mind, in the body, and sometimes you, you say you're going to stay with it, but it's like I just described. And at the end of it, it's not calm. You know, It didn't really feel wise. You relinquish some things, okay, but somehow it, it's, it's willpower. It's wanting. It's striving. It's expecting. And another time, Stuff's just as difficult, but the mind it just isn't a big, the mind just goes, no, I'm just here. You know, somehow it's not a struggle. The mind's just here. And you go, well, why? How? What did I do? You didn't do nothing. But notice the qualities in the mind. Notice the wholesome qualities. And just as, as we've said, when we cultivate the wholesome, I think James or several people have quoted this famous line from one of the suttas that what we frequently think about and ponder upon, that becomes the inclination of our mind. So that's really why we talk about recognizing the wholesome. Recognize mindfulness, recognize samadhi, recognize calm, recognize resolution. The more we recognize you're sitting there and, oh, I don't want to move, I can't, and then the resolution's there. You can tune into it. It aligns the energy. It strengthens. And then it starts to fade, and you start thinking, and you go, oh, wait, there's the resolution again. We can incline towards it. We can call it up. It's a huge support. I've just been finding it so useful. Whereas before, I was trying to think, is this good? Am I tired? Do I need a rest? I really can't tell. And trying to figure it all out. And when resolution comes, boom, you just do it. Like, what's it, that Nike ad? Just do it. It's like that. You don't have to analyze. It's just so simple. There's so much energy behind it. You could take the example again of the, the Buddha, the Gautama Buddha we know, after all of those lifetimes, in, the, in, in this lifetime that, that we read about, all this, the practice and the ascetic practices that he did, and the famous night when he sat down under the Bodhi tree and made that famous resolution, I'm not, you know, getting up and, you know, I either die or I awaken. And I always thought, well, somehow he knew the right night to make that resolution. <laughs> he didn't make it when he first went forth from homelessness. He didn't make it in all those six years of incredible asceticism, you know. So there's a sense of this huge resolve, but with discerning wisdom that knows what's wise and, and what seems possible, you know? Truthfulness, calm, relinquishment. So it's not saying, you know, you don't have resolve if you make some incredibly uh, impossible resolve and then don't live up to it. You think, well, see, that just proves what I always knew. I can't do it, you know? It's, it really requires wisdom and clear seeing. Another a place we can get also confused between determination is not to confuse it with expectation. Not to confuse. Joseph often says, don't confuse effort with expectation, trying to make something happen. Same with resolve. Same with determination. So our example with mindfulness, our determination to be present isn't moving into a determination to have a specific result. The determination is, okay, I'll be here. And then open to whatever shows up. Whether it's in Tanjef, uh, Tanasaru Bhikkhu, <laughs> he had a good description of this, I thought. He was talk- he's talking about determination, resolve. And he's talking about it in life. And he's saying often in a meditation retreat, sometimes it's not so helpful to have a specific goal because we get so goal-oriented and striving. But we've talked about that the whole time. Once we understand that, And once we understand the wise use of resolve and the difference between resolve and expectation, we can use it here. So don't think you can't. But he's giving a good example of how we misuse it. So he says sometimes people come on a retreat and they they set a focus that want a particular result so that they can say, you know, I just spent two weeks at the monastery and I came back with the first jhana, like a trophy. And he says... You usually end up, if you get something that you call jhana when you go home, with an unripe mango. You've got a green mango on your tree, 
and someone comes along and says, a ripe mango is yellow and it's soft. So you squeeze your mango to make it soft and paint it yellow to make it look ripe. But it's not a ripe mango. It's a ruined mango. <laughs> I didn't think Tom Jeff was funny. <laughs> so you get a sense of the difference. So even with determination, it just starts to slide into wanting. It's not the same thing. And that's where we bring in satya, truthfulness. Ah, oh, this isn't that unifying, that, that solidity, that uprightness of energy. It's starting to lean in, starting to try and make something happen. And in the smaller picture, but in the bigger picture, just of our practice here, never mind eons and eons and lifetimes, but in our practice, not only on this retreat, but I'm assuming, even though of you I don't know, you wouldn't be here if in some way your life, some part in your life you were committed to waking up, to purifying, to cultivating compassion. It's not just about this retreat and then you're going to walk, walk out and blow it off. Well, maybe you are, I don't know. But even just on the retreat, it takes huge resolve, doesn't it? Over and over, this determination to, okay, be here for this, be here for this, be here for this. And I've noticed, often on retreats, and I've noticed in the last, oh, in the last few days, talking to different people, you know, we say that retreat's always kind of going in like a sine wave, you know. Everyone's not all in exactly the same wave, but it'll be going, whatever it is for you, well, open, things are expanding, and then it contracts again. Then just, we think, oh, okay, and then oh, it's open and flowing in whatever way, and then you think, okay, now, you know, then it contracts again. And sometimes we start to see, okay, that's just the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? The waves, the seasons, but the universe, although maybe it's just expanding and expanding. We don't really know if it's going to contract again. But often, back when it's in a contraction again, and it keeps doing that, just like the breath. It can't just go one way. But anyway, I've been noticing, I was thinking about the last few days, it feels like for some it's going into another kind of, like a dip or whatever. The place where I call like hitting the wall, where we've really been sincerely working, being present, cultivating awareness and mindfulness and metta, opening to difficult stuff, whatever. But then it like hits a place, and it's different for each of us, and for each of us at different times it's different, where it's like the mind just says, either I can't do this, or I don't want to do this, or if this is what freedom's about, no thank you very much, you know? I, you know, it's like, I, I just, I call it hitting the wall. Sometimes it's like, ah, okay, I see my bad habits, and this is a big one. I really get it. Selfing happens a lot. I'm seeing craving everywhere I look. And the more mindful I get, the more I see it. But it's worse. Not only do I see it, I feel the pain of it. And because I feel the pain of it and I see how unnecessary it is and how much delusion it is, I'm really lost in self-judgment about it because I ought to be over this by now. And it's 10 million times more painful now than it was before. You know, I can't bear it anymore. Have you ever had a moment like that? <laughs> Longer than a moment, huh? And sometimes it's like that moment when I was talking about in Burma, it was like, oh my God, it's overwhelming. I just can't be with this. I can't do it. Over and over and over. And then we believe that mind state. You know, forget it. Or sometimes it's just uh, opening to another level, and it may be a subtle level, of the painfulness of our habits or of our past conditioning. Or just seeing something very subtle like comparing, but seeing it everywhere. So it's so disgusting, you know, you just can't stand it anymore. Someone said to me once, I thought I was being really nice in the interview, but she said as a friend, she said, you know, it's like you're saying to me so nicely, you're saying, it's like you're completely covered with green slime. I was just trying to point out wanting, you know. I wasn't taking it personally. I'm wanting, yeah, it comes and she's like, ugh, green slime, and totally identifying. And then the mind, I don't want to be with this. I don't want to look anymore. Or various ideas that come in our mind at a certain time. If, 
if freedom means uh, I don't love my family anymore, you know, forget about it. Or if freedom means no more appreciation of the beautiful, you know. And that's something we get into life. It means I can't have pleasant experience anymore. I don't want that. It's just a dull, gray, boring, forget it, you know, and then we're off into reactivity. Or sometimes it's even getting caught in our, what I talked about the other night, our personality view. Well, freedom, I really would love it, but it's just not possible for me in this lifetime. I'm too fill in the blanks. You know, in fact, tonight when I've been talking about determination, if your mind goes, yeah, well, that's fine for someone, but not someone as weak as me, not someone uh, as tired as me, not someone, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks. I couldn't do it. Noticing that, noticing that. This is times when we hit the wall, when it's just not what we expected. And this is usually a big one, the expectations we have in the background. And pretty much... It's an extremely rare person who doesn't have some expectation going on. You come to a retreat. I mean, you're lucky if you even know what your upfront expectations are. But often about this time, the ones we didn't know, or that we knew but we pretended we didn't know, which is amazing, isn't it? We saw it in the beginning. No, no, I don't really think that. No, 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 that's not really operating. But now it's like, okay, where's the bliss? It's been five weeks. (laughs) Huh? This isn't what I signed up for. Another dip into wanting and aversion and sense of self? No, no, no. Three weeks, okay. Five weeks, I'm ready for some samadhi. And samadhi does not mean noticing changing objects that are unpleasant. Samadhi means heading for bliss. Thank you very much. The sense of self, okay, I've seen it. Chalo, I'm a friend of mine, goodbye. (laughs) We don't need it anymore. What's going on? Or we have some idea of how open our heart should be, how we shouldn't have these unpleasant or uh, aversive or cruel thoughts, or some idea of how our body was going to open up and purify, or whatever. We all have. Maybe you don't. But look and see. If you're hitting a wall, there's almost always some idea back there. And as embarrassing or puerile or foolish as it might seem, it's really helpful to pull that idea out of you know, the shadows and bring it into the light. I remember when I was just last year when I was sitting and I was on a, in, in, on a retreat in Burma and I remember I was doing walking. and It was pretty quiet. I mean, things were really quite fine. No big deal was going on. And I was quite happy, but just would notice just a little, uh, a little leading forward. And then I'd pull out the thought in my mind. I pulled it out. It was like, oh, it should be a little bit better than this. Whatever this was, it should be a little bit better. And then I saw, yeah, there's this belief. This is samsara. And I'm still trying to fix samsara. And that's the whole point about samsara. It isn't fixable. It's just going on and on and on. Actually, for me, it was a very funny moment. Well, you guys might not relate, but this when I was walking, this place I walked, and I saw that. Just, oh, samsara. Then I went into kind of just everywhere, wanting and not getting, and you get it, and it goes, and trying to make it better, and it's never. Uh, and it's just so heavy. And I was walking outside in this place I liked, and I just kind of looked up, and I realized I was looking up, saying, I'll just get some openness, some sky. And it was still trying to improve samsara. And the place I chose to look up, there was a little overhang from the building, which I'd, I was walking next to a building, which I'd never really noticed. And this overhang, this kind of cement overhang in the tropics, you know, it was, it was so disgusting. It was filled with old cobwebs and mold hanging down and dead bugs and flies in the co- It was the most <laughs> disgusting thing. I thought, oh, yeah. (laughs) Samsara, give it up, you know. It was great. It just broke the whole thing. Sometimes we hit the wall because it's actually going well. And our sense of comfort, our sense of self, our sense of what we're familiar with starts to be broken apart, starts to come apart. And there's like, almost like, I, I don't know if Guy said at this time a, a statement, I think it's so easy, he talked about a nostalgia for samsara. 
So when you see aspects of your personality, that lonely aspect, that greedy, whatever it is, and you see moments when it comes and you just awareness sees it, you don't buy into it, it's gone, you go, oh, but that's me. It's like putting on a nice, warm, cozy coat and we want it back. Like, no, who would I be without my whatever, you know? And this little nostalgia for some sort of oh, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be nothing and nobody, you know? Very unfamiliar sense of myself. And so this is where determination, resolve, really supports us in the form of courage, in the form of just a courage that's willing to show up for that, that discomfort, that dis-ease, that sense of unfamiliarity, realizing that you know freedom from clinging is completely uncompromising. It's not freedom from most clinging, but you get to hold on to a few things. It's freedom from clinging that transforms our views of ourselves, our views of the world, our comfortable and even uncomfortable little standpoints that we have. They all start to get seen through. And even though that's freeing, it can also be quite unsettling. And if we just want to stick in our minds and what we think about it and what should we do, we can really get swept into doubt and confusion or hitting that wall. Resolve is just, okay, just be with this. Unsettling is like this. Because enlightenment, waking up, it's not a self-improvement project. It's not about fixing our personalities. As Ajahn Sumedha said, it's not our personality that gets liberated is seeing through all the standpoints. We can still use our standpoints, our views, but it's seeing through them all. I love this quote from Stephen Batchelor. He says, realizing emptiness, it's not just an experience of oceanic bliss. It's more a falling apart of all of our strategies of self-interest, of self-centeredness, of seeming protection. And although freeing, it also can bring about a great sense of disconcertion, confusion, dis-ease, like being in what he calls a no-man's land where it's not familiar for a while. And that place of unfamiliarity, it's uncomfortable often. So this is where we really call on our resolution our commitment, not to make it be a certain way or get out of the discomfort, but just, okay, and show up for this. Dis-ease is like this, that willingness to just open into the unknown. Whatever this next moment is, we don't know. The resolution just unifies our energy and allows us to do that, moment by moment. Not willpower, not forcing, not expectation, as Tejaniya has written all over the place, never give up. Don't push, don't strive, but never give up. Just being here for this. Maybe I've used this example before, but it, it's a good one to me, of never giving up. Have you seen, some of you may have seen the movie, it's been out a few years, called uh, Into the Void, about these two men that were uh, mountain climbing together in the Andes in South America. It's a recreation of something that happened maybe 20 years ago. It's very intense. So really try to make a long story short there. They're mountain climbing together, just the two of them, and they're roped together up way, way, way high in snowy mountains. And so the, the, the one ahead, somehow they're descending, and the one ahead skids and falls off a ledge. And so he's hanging, you know, way down the ledge, and they're roped together. And so for a really long time, the guy who's still up is trying to pull the other one up. He can't get him up. And it's just this huge void down there, you know, a huge abyss. And it's for hours they can't, he can't get him up and they can't move and they can't do anything. So finally, the guy who's up there cuts the rope. That was his decision, what he did. And I guess in mountaineering, Laura, certainly no mountaineering, you never do that. But that's what he did. He cut the rope and he went back to their base camp waited, you know, to see what happened. So the guy that the rope was cut felt in, fell into, what's the right word? It wasn't just like a big, a big, um, 
crevasse, right. Thank you. A big crevasse, you know, in the ice. And he falls down in it, so it's dark and narrow, and he lands on a kind of a shelf, and he'd broken his leg. And so he's on this shelf for, I don't remember how long, quite a long time, 12 hours longer. And he said later, he's terrified of this dark, of this crevasse. And he's way down there. He can't get up. He's way down. And it keeps on going down further, and he's just on this little shelf. So he's there for, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, I don't know how long. But at some point he said, you know, I couldn't just abdicate. I had to, got all of yourself, make a decision. And the only thing I could do was lower myself further down into that crevasse, which completely, completely terrified him. And he had no clue if it just went on forever or what would happen. But he said, I could not abdicate. I had to do something. That's the quality of resolution, just opening into the unknown, right? Amazing. Well, I don't know, in some way, maybe it's not so physical, but there's times in practice when it's that level. You know, and we think we can go back to our little cozy nest to bring up the resolve. Just be here, and it'll open by itself. So anyway, I mean, I don't want to go, but obviously he made it out. He said, I had to make a choice. I may be wrong. So what happened, he lowered himself, his leg was broken, but he hit ground and it kind of went up and he could see daylight. And he managed to crawl out and it took him like it was three or four days on his broken leg to crawl over this incredible terrain and mountains sliding down and rocks and all to get back to where the base camp was. And by the time he got back, the other guy had been just, had been waiting for days, you know, and was just about to leave and had burned all the other guy's clothes, was about to go. And the guy had just, I mean, it's amazing he was still alive after these four days. And he said he was so, you know, nothing to drink, nothing to eat, really delirious. And when he was getting close to the base camp, the only thing that kind of snapped him back out of delirium enough to know he was close was the smell of urine from where they'd been peeing, you know, when they were camping there. And that smell was so talk kind of woke him up and brought him into his mind enough to get back to the base camp. It was very intense, very intense story. <laughs> yeah. But can you imagine, you know, the temptation? Oh, well, I'll just hang out on the crevasse. I'll just hang out here on the shelf because it's too scary to do anything else. You know, and sometimes we feel like that in our practice. But really, we can't abdicate. And you don't want to abdicate. Never give up. There's a great, Semedo was telling us one time, I think it's, we were meeting with him again, uh, a bunch of Apostana teachers. And he was talking about, just in his own life of practice, a period, you know, he was the abbot of Amaravati for many years. So he's talking about a period of about 10 years ago, when there's a period of great difficulty at the monastery at Amaravati, a lot of interpersonal difficulty a lot of upheaval. And he being the abbot and also the one who kind of ran things, he was getting a lot of blame. People were really, and, and these are all people who live together and know each other well. So he was getting a lot of, of blame, a lot of anger. And he said, my personality hated that and feared that. You know, like, I want to be loved. I want to be liked. And everyone's blaming me and I'm having to still stand up and take it all and still make the hard decisions. It was hard for my personality. And he was starting to really feel beaten down. And then he said he realized, oh, he was buying into his personality. And he said, and he used this word, I made a determination to trust awareness. I love that. Like the time when we're really in our stuff and we can see we're in our stuff, but it's so real. It's, yes, I'm really believing the personality, Sakaya Ditti, is what it's true. And he just made a deep resolve of trusting awareness, which is trusting mindfulness, intuitive awareness. Personality still arising, blame still arising, hating the blame still arising, awareness of it like this. The trust is in the awareness, not in the personality. That's a huge resolve, one we can make over and over and over again in our practice doesn't mean we know how it's going to turn out. doesn't mean that it's the same path for each of us. And we make the resolve over and over and over again, don't we? So I just 
won't want it. Two things. First, end with a story about this quality of resolve and commitment and how strong it can be in lives. Maybe some of you have seen this movie about uh, when Sony Rinpoche and some Western women went back to Tibet to visit this group of nuns called the Nangchen nuns. And their story is that they lived in the remote mountains of Tibet, about 40 nunneries during the Cultural Revolution of China, after China had taken over Tibet. It was in 59, but then there was this Cultural Revolution in the, was it, 70s, I think. And at that point, many of the monasteries and nunneries were destroyed. And so these nuns, these called the Nangchen nuns up in this high air, remote mountains of Tibet, all their nunneries were destroyed, and the nuns were scattered, right? And different things happened to them. They each had to you know, do a different way, but they had their, their deep commitment, their resolve in themselves of, of being nuns. That was their path. So some of them um, had to go back to their nomadic homes and live with their families, or they were able to do that. Some of the nuns didn't survive in, in this period when the nunneries were destroyed. Some of them were sent to work camps. Some of them managed to go deep, deep, deeper into the mountains and live like hermits in the caves. But all of them that survived, in their way, really stayed true to their internal resolve of living as nuns. Like some of the nuns said that, you know, when, oh, so what happened was, they were starting to be allowed in the last few years to come out of hiding or to come back from their families and begin to rebuild these nunneries, which already was huge. They're dragging you know, the stones and the wood up these giant, giant mountains by hand to rebuild the nunneries. But they were saying that so the, one, the ones who were living with their families, they had to disrobe. So they were like secret nuns. You know, they would do their practices in secret, in their minds, in silence, even keeping it from their families sometimes. And they would look like they were living a normal life, but they were doing hidden practice, committed to being nuns, you know, inside, over and over and over. So when they could come back out and come back and come together as nuns, even though externally they had to, you have to use discerning wisdom. You don't know what conditions are going to be presented. You know, resolution isn't about it's always going to be like this. It's about our heart and minds aligned with truth and whatever we need to do to cultivate that commitment to truth and wakefulness in ourselves. So when Sogni and these Western women were visiting, they went back again and were starting to see these nuns come out of hiding. Some of them had starved to death. Some of them had been close to starvation. For 20 years they were in hiding up in the mountains or in their families. And now they were like so happy to be able to come back and then kind of the culmination of the whole movie, they took the, the visitors up to visit this old nun at, really up at the top of this tiny, tiny little cabin up on the top of the mountain, really old. And they said they thought she was one of their most you know, awakened ones. So they showed us, the, you know, the, the movie shows her. She's just kind of lying in a bed. I mean, she's got so many wrinkles. She looks like about 120, really. Who knows? And her eyes are just so bright, beaming, and she's just lying there. It doesn't look like she can even walk or get up. She's just spinning their little prayer wheel, and they say to her, so, you know, what are you doing? She says, well, she, I just, all my waking hours, all that's in my mind are wishes for the happiness and freedom from suffering of all beings. She's just lying there, so bright, spinning her way, prayer wheel, you know, every moment she's awake. So who knows how our resolve is going to show up? But just to end with something from the Buddha, where he says two things. He says, two things I never lost sight of, not to shrink from the struggle and not to stay contented merely with wholesome states of mind. I'd say, don't sell yourself short. Don't be afraid to own your aspiration, the Buddha. So this holy life, bhikkhus, does not have gain, honor, and renown for its benefit, nor the attainment of virtue for its benefit, nor the attainment of concentration for its benefit, 
or even knowledge and vision for its benefit. But it is this unshakable deliverance of mind that is the goal of this holy life, its essence and its end, its heartwood. So don't sell yourself short. Don't abandon your resolve. Thank you. Let's just sit Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.